Hey y'all, welcome to Feasting on Truth. I'm Erin Warren, and I'm so glad that you're here. This week, we are discussing John chapter one. And wow, does this chapter give us a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. I've read and studied this passage many times, and maybe you have too. But as my friend Tammy describes it, it's like peeling back an onion layer by layer. Every time we study scripture, even a familiar passage, God continues to build these layers upon layers of understanding. And that's why we can study the same passages over and over. And I feel like God did just that through my study time this week. He brought a new level of insight and depth, not only about Jesus, but in turn about myself. These days often feel dark to me, but his light is still shining. John chapter one could honestly be its own eight week Bible study in and of itself. There's a lot to discuss, so let's dive right in. Hey y'all, I am so excited to finally dig into the book of John with y'all. it has just been a, a great week. As I was talking to um, my friend Stacy about our study this week, she said, John one's really like drinking from a fire hydrant. It's <laughs> like, that's the best description. Um, it is a little bit longer of a chapter. There's 51 verses, but, um, and goodness, there is so much. So I am going to be mindful of our time tonight. I want to make sure that, um, I am not over going um, over too much, but I also want to make sure there's so many good things I want to share with you and so much richness in here. And so um, let me open us up in prayer and then um, we will dive right in. Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege of your word. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to um, gather as women, even in this weird time, even when we can't physically be together, Lord, um, that we can still daily open our Bibles, that we can still read together, Lord, that we can still um, come together and by the power of your word, Lord, that we are not the same. God, change us, grow us, teach us who you are, Lord, show us who you are. Um, Give us teachable spirits, Lord, um, and let us not leave John 1 without um, a better picture of who you are. And in return, Lord, um, because of that, a better picture of who we are in you. Um, I pray over my mouth, Lord. It is yours. Um, Let me share your truth. Let me um, do, um, do through me only what you can do. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right. So here we go. All right, so we have right off the bat, in the beginning, Um, and if that brought you back to Genesis 1, then you are on the right track. Um, It is meant to bring us back to the beginning. Um, Remember, we are studying through a lens in which um, John is is, um, really honing in on the deity of Jesus, Jesus as Messiah, as the Son of God, and so um, if he is going to talk about that, what better place than to start? in the beginning. So we have these beautiful words to start off, John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, I want to dig into a couple of words in these verses just to help us better understand what's about to come in the, in the following verses. Um, so we have this word beginning. Um, the word means origin or beginning. It's the starting point. 
um, for our physical earth. So in the beginning, but um, sometimes what helps um, better even understand a word is to look at the root word from which it's derived. So in English, we have words that then have root words that help us understand a little bit deeper what um, that word might mean. So like we might have paragraph um, and that para is a root that helps us understand more what the word paragraph means. So in the same way, we have um, a root word here um, that means to rule or to begin. And so it's not just in the beginning was God and the word. It is um, this idea that what is in the beginning also rules because um, I love how biblehub.com um, puts it on this Greek word, what comes first and therefore is chief. So when we see this idea of in the beginning, it not only speaks to God as creator, God as the origin of where um, everything came from, it also speaks to his eternal nature because he was there first, but it also speaks to the fact that he is chief over all of it that he is sovereign. And so anytime we see beginning or creator, it should trigger that it's not just creator, that it's also his eternal nature, that it's also that he is sovereign over it. Um, in the same way that a painter is creating a painting, they're in charge of where that paintbrush goes. Um, they are in charge of the outcome of that painting. So in the same way, he is in charge of what, um, of this world, of what he created. Um, so that's the word beginning. Now we also have this word for word, um, which is logos. In the Bible, there are multiple words. So when you see the word word in scripture, there are multiple original language words in the New Testament and Greek that kind of explain. So the first one is graphe, which means scriptures. It's like the physical book um, that's the word. There's also the word rhema, which um, is the spoken word. So it's the, the act of speaking words. But then there's this word logos. Now at its core, so we're gonna, I'm gonna give you kind of like the core of what it means, but then there's also some cultural things at play that also um, affect the definition. So um, at its core, it's, this, it's the idea of an idea. <laughs> it is an expressed thought. It is taking what's in your head and bringing the process of bringing it through your, from brain to mouth and out. And so um, it is, um, it kind of embodies a, a concept or an idea. So it's more than just the vocabulary, it's actually the, the wisdom or the, the process behind the words that come out as well. So that's kind of the core what it means. Now we have two sides at play here um, that also kind of um, why I think that um, John would have chosen this word. Um, one is for us to remember that um, Jesus's life was a pivot point in history. And so, um, and in particularly in the Jewish faith. And so we have the whole Old Testament, which is really foretelling and kind of pointing its festivals, its law, its um, it is a, there's a thread of redemption of, of God rescuing his people um, that all points us to Jesus. And he's this pivot point in history where um, we go, everything back here points to you. And now everything this way, everything forward is, um, 
is about our Christianity. It's about the salvation in Jesus. It is a pivot point in what that looked like. Now, um, we know because of history that at that pivot point, there were people who said yes to Jesus and there were people who rejected him. There were people who said no. And one of um, the large groups of people who denied his um, messiahhood, I guess, is that a word? I can make, I can say that, right? Um, who denied that he was the messiah. That's probably the more proper way to say that. Is that a word? Oh my goodness. I'm so tongue tied today. Okay. So um, <laughs> we're the religious leaders. And so we have these religious leaders who have denied Jesus. And in kind of culturally um, post Jesus, one of the accusations they made against Christian believers was the fact that they did not know the word of God. And so um, John using this, the word of God, um, would speak to that. And we even see, um, and we can kind of understand their, um, the thinking behind this idea of, of the word of God creating or the word of God um, being put forth for them. We see in Hebrews 11.3, it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Um, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So um, the idea of the word of God was very familiar. And so calling Jesus the word of God, this expressed thought of God, this divine expression of God um, to them would have been very meaningful. Now, on the other side, we also have kind of the Greek and secular beliefs about the logos. And um, my cultural study Bible put it best. Um, it was this idea of a divine reason that orders the universe. So there was just kind of this like thing out there, something that couldn't be grasped, that wasn't physical, that was controlling and ordering the universe. And so what John is doing by calling Jesus the logos, this expressed thought, this divine expression of God, is he is stripping away the falsehood from both sides of this argument. And he is taking what is true and he's saying, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's that thing out there that's ordering the universe. It's Jesus. The power of God's word that created the world that is that God expressed, that's Jesus. And so um, when we see the word word in these first 14 verses, um, it's logos. And so that is the picture that I want you to kind of have in your head as um, we are doing that. So we have... Um, Logos. Okay. So we have Jesus, the divine expression. All right. So let me pick up in verse three. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So we see again, um, this idea that Jesus is also creator. Um, and remember with creator comes sovereignty and, and eternal nature. Um, Colossians 1, 15 through 16 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we have Jesus as creator. Um, verse four, in him was life and that life was the light of men. So we have this idea of life and light. And both of these were common um, 
common attributes of what God's word would do. Um, we see them in the Old Testament. You can even see them like throughout Deuteronomy. One of my favorite places that talks about God's word as life and light are in Psalm 119. Um, it, I know I say this a lot, y'all. It's one of my favorite chapters. It's, it's, one, it's the longest book in the Bible. Um, and it is basically a poem, a love poem about God's word. Um, my friend Tammy, who's in my group, has been studying that deeply this summer. And um, y'all, there's just so many rich truths. If you need just like a, a Bible reading something that you just read um, in the morning or before you go to bed, that's a really great one, especially as we are learning and walking through studying his word together. Um, but we see in um, life, we see, give me life according to your word. Um, we see that idea expressed in verses 25, 37, and 40. Um, in Psalm 119, 105, we have that famous verse um, that you're probably going to start singing your Amy Grant after it. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Um, and then one of my favorite um, is one verse 130. It says, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts wisdom, I'm sorry, it imports understanding to the simple. Um, and that's what God words does for us. And that brings me such encouragement because there are days I feel so simple um, where I think, I don't know how to make sense of this book sometimes, but being um, faithful to open his word and study, he promises that he will unfold it for us. He will give us light. Um, and so his word is life and light. And hang on to both of those because we're going to see Jesus um, later in the book. He, both of those themes are going to come back up. And then verse five, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Um, your version may say um, understood it or comprehend it. And so sometimes that can be a really confusing word. Um, you're like, I don't really know what that means. Um, and one of the ways that we can really um, understand how to interpret and, and get, get a better grasp on what words mean is we can look up the original word um, and then see where else it is used in scripture. And so this particular word that um, is overcome, we're gonna see later in John when the woman was caught in adultery. It's the same word, caught. So it holds this idea of seizing, aggressively taking possession of, or taking something forcefully. Y'all, darkness cannot take possession of light. Even the smallest spark of light in the darkest of rooms will still shine. It cannot be overcome. It cannot be seized. It cannot be forcefully taken. And so I want you to understand that Jesus is the light of this world. And I have been struggling um, just with the darkness of this world over the last probably week or two, really heavy. Um, and it's really easy for me to be overcome by the darkness and think there's just no way light can get through. But I want to tell you that God has reminded me this week that he is the light and nothing can snuff him out. Nothing can take possession of him. He cannot be stopped by darkness. Oh, it's good. So we have, that was a lot. I mean, I feel like that in and of itself is a whole week's worth of Bible study just in those five verses, but we're going to keep going. Um, so John um, 1 verse 6, there was a man sent by God whose name was John. Now remember, um, John, the author, the apostle does not name himself in this book. So anytime we see John named, it's someone else. Um, 
so this is talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Um, so Jesus, uh, sorry, John is talking about John the Baptist and he says, he wasn't the light himself. He's come to be a reflection of the light, to tell people about the light, to point people to the light. And that's very much what we're called to as well. We're supposed to be his light bearers. Um, and I really encourage you um, for some deeper study. You can go read more about John the Baptist. Um, his stories are in the um, parallel gospels in, in Matthew 3 and Mark 1, in Luke 1 and 3. And then I didn't write the specific passage down, but there's also a good um, chunk. And I can't remember what scripture it is. I'll put it in um, the show notes. But there's also um, when John the Baptist is arrested and beheaded, there's some exchange with Jesus that is just it's really rich. Um, and I think it's really good for us because he's really questioning when he's sitting in jail. Um, and um, Jesus meets him so beautifully and so patiently, and I love it. Um, okay, so verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Y'all, I want to pause here and just this concept because it just blows my mind. He made the world, and he was in the world. And it didn't really hit me much until a couple years ago, I was reading this Christmas book called Song of the Stars by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And these are the last lines. Lying on a bed of straw, wrapped in rags, a tiny little baby, heaven's son, sleeping under the stars he made. Y'all, Jesus was sleeping under the stars he made. He was walking on ground that he had formed. He was climbing mountains that he had raised. He was crossing seas that he had filled. I mean, wow. <laughs> I just, it, it's mind-blowing. And yet the world didn't know him. Um, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, um, I want us to remember that, that John is writing this somewhere in the 40 to 60 year range after Jesus's death. And so um, it's sometimes when we read the gospels or when we read scripture, we can feel like we're reading it in real time. And so I want you to understand that John has all the wisdom that he has gained throughout his whole life. He, he walked with Jesus. He saw the death. He saw his resurrection. Um, he has seen the early church form. He, um, if you remember from last week, we talked about how he had started the church and, and really pastored the church in Ephesus. Um, he had seen the persecution. And so he's saying this because 40 to 60 years removed from this you know, moment, he, he knows that there were people who did reject him. Um, but there were also people who accepted him. And we see that. Um, in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Uh, culturally, bloodlines were so important in this day. And so the idea that you could become a child of God without having an a um, Israelite bloodline, I, that he had opened up salvation to all who called and believed in his name. 
it was a big deal. And that's really good news for us. Um, because it's not just about bloodline. It's not just about the flesh, but we are born of God. Um, and then my favorite verse, and it's our theme verse for this entire study. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And this um, harkens us back to the tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple in Jerusalem. That is where God's visible glory dwelled. He was omnipresent, yes, but his glory resided in um, the Holy of Holies. That's where people would go to meet with him. And so the fact that anybody could meet with him because he was in this physical body that all of his eternalness, all of his creatorness, all of his sovereignty, all of who God is, he had put into flesh form. And he dwelt among us. Um, and the word dwell literally means to pitch a tent. It means to tabernacle. And so um, this was really the first time we see the divine nature of God visibly dwelling with and among the people. Until this point, no one could come near God's glory. Um, and, um, you know, we see even in Moses, this. Um, when he wanted to meet with God, God said, you cannot see my glory and live. And so he put him in a, a he said, I will um, put you in the cleft of a rock and I will cover you with my hand and I will let my backside go um, beside you and I will declare my name to you. And Moses came down from the mountain just in that encounter with all those layers between him and God's full glory. And his face shone so bright that it scared people and he had to wear a veil over his face. And so we have the fullness of God's glory in Jesus, and we can behold it. They could behold it for the first time. And he was full of grace and truth. Um, I love um, this idea. Uh, goodness, like my kids, y'all, when they um, are facing consequences for, um, you know, an act of disobedience or something, um, they'll often say, mommy, can you just give me grace? Mommy, can you just give me grace? And I think often we tend to use his grace in a way of trying to escape um, punishment for our own wrongdoings. Just give me grace. And we think of his grace as kind of like this get out of jail free card. Um, or, or, or we do fully understand that it's, the forgiveness of the sin and that he doesn't hold his, our sin against us. And so we kind of um, think of it as Jesus is just, I mean, that's pretty awesome deal, right? I mean, like I got forgiveness and he did that for me. Like he's a good, he's a good friend. He laid down his life for me. Um, but grace is so much more than that. Um, Y'all, we do not deserve. We physically, like I just said, you cannot behold his glory. We as unholy people, sinful people cannot come before a holy God. And so the fact that he sent Jesus to make a way so that he could bend down to have relationship with us, that is his grace. Um, that is the fullness of his grace. And, and so he is full of grace and he's full of truth. And this is more than just the fact that he speaks truth and he doesn't tell lies. It's that it embodies his very essence that he 
is truth. There is no falsehood in Jesus. He is 100% completely true. Nothing he says is untrue. Nothing about him is untrue. He is 100% true. He is complete and abounding in grace, and he's complete and abounding in truth. And um, then we see John, um, this is really the first place, if you're taking notes in the back of your book, where you can write out how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. This is the first place where we're going to see that. So um, verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Amen. Um, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side has for, he has made him known. Okay. So verse 17, that's where I want to hone in right here. The law was given through Moses and grace and truth were given through Jesus Christ. And so this is the first place we're going to see the um, comparison of something in the old Testament that John is pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment, fulfillment of that. And so in this passage, what we've seen building up here is that we have God's word was delivered through Moses in the form of the Torah. Now, this is not just the Ten Commandments um, as the word of God. It is the um, first, the, the first five books of the Bible. It is the Torah is um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's the full law that was given um, by God through Moses. Um, and then we have God's word revealed through Jesus. We have God dwelling among his people in the tabernacle, and then we have Jesus dwelling among his people in the flesh. We have no one could behold God's glory, and that's where we see that um, story in Exodus 34, verses 1 through 9, of um, God passing his backside and putting Moses in the cleft of the rock. Um, But no one has seen God, but now he has been made known in Jesus. Um, And Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. um, Hebrews 10.1 gives us a little bit more clarity on what that means. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So the law was never meant and could not save us um, because we are not capable of living perfect lives by the law. But the law was a shadow that would then point us to Jesus because Jesus would fulfill the law for us and cover us based on what the law required. And so um, the author of Hebrews calls it a shadow. Um, A shadow is not the real thing. A shadow just points us to the real thing. And so the Old Testament here, the law um, that was given through Moses is a shadow pointing us to the real thing that is Jesus. Um, And then um, from his fullness, so we see that word repeated twice here. He is the fullness, he is the source um, so from his fullness, um, he, we um, have grace upon grace. Um, this reminds me a lot of my fountain picture that um, I've used over the years to kind of show um, what discipleship and women's ministry looks like. It's, um, it's at Disney Springs, but it's a picture of Mickey holding a, a pot and it's pouring water into one pot, which pours into more pots and more pots. And it's this idea of being filled and pouring out and being filled and pouring out that we are at all times supposed to be um, 
having someone pour into us and that we're pouring out to someone else. But often we forget that it's his living water flowing through us that is doing the pouring. Um, it's just us positioning ourselves and being faithful to be in those relationships that allow his living water to kind of flow through us. And y'all are doing great because you're here. So I'm really proud of you. Um, okay, so that concludes section one of this passage where it really talks about um, Jesus is the word of God. There's three sections in here. I can't remember if I said that earlier. So um, we have that, then we have John the Baptist testimony, and then we have the calling of the first disciples. So um, I'm going to kind of give a more bird's eye view of the rest of um, this chapter, because really there was a lot of meat in there. Um, and I want to make sure everyone has time to get to their small groups. So um, then we see John the Baptist. Okay, he's out in the wilderness and um, the Levites and the priests come and they're like, who are you? Are you the Christ? He goes, no. Are you Elijah? No. Um, who are you? And he says, this is really important in verse 23. He said, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Um, and they asked him why he's baptizing. And he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where, where John was baptizing. So we see here, if you have your book and your map, one of our first locations. Um, so we have here Bethany across the Jordan. Um, and so... Um, I decided I wanted to write these out. So I added here, this is where John was baptizing. Um, I have seen a couple maps that put this a little further north, um, but most of the ones I saw kind of had it here, but it could be here. It might've been here, but for right now, you can just put it there. So um, he is baptizing across the Jordan. Now there's some great symbolism here. So I want to just kind of hit on these three big symbols that are in um, this little exchange. So um, first he, he quotes, and this verse is in the parallel gospels in the other stories of John the Baptist that I, I told you earlier about. Um, the same verse he quotes, it's Isaiah 40 verse 3, and I'm going to read um, um, verses 3 through 5 from Isaiah 40. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Um, this is what I thought was really cool, is that anytime a king in this day was going to travel, they would go and make improvements to the road. And so this prophecy in Isaiah is talking about somebody who is going to prepare a way who is going to make improvements along the way that will help the path of the king as he is coming. And so um, when um, he, when John claims this, um, he is, is not making physical improvements to a road to make way for Jesus. He's making spiritual ones. Um, and so one of the ways he's doing this is he's baptizing. Now, I always thought this was odd. I grew up in Baptist, Southern Baptist Church. And um, so my only real context for, for this type of baptism that he was doing was a post-Christ um, symbol of death and resurrection. And so there was, um, I've never really quite understood it. And so I did some cultural digging on this. And um, here's what I found interesting is that this type of baptism that John was doing was reserved for um, 
Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. And so um, ceremonial cleansing was a, was a really big deal in the Jewish faith. And so, um, but this type was, was kind of a um, rebirth into um, the Jewish faith for um, Gentiles who had not been raised that way. And so for him to be baptizing Jewish people in this way was really radical. Um, and we see in the parallel gospels that he is um, offering forgiveness of sins, which is something that was um, also like forgiveness of sin came through the sacrifice and the cleansing in the temples. And so um, what John is doing is pretty radical. Um, and he's preparing the way through um, baptizing. And then um, he's a voice crying in the wilderness. Now, yes, this speaks to his physical location, um, but there is a thread of wilderness throughout scripture. Um, it's pretty fascinating um, where we can find wilderness. So, um, but in scripture, this is um, from biblehub.com on the Greek word for wilderness. It says in scripture, a desert is ironically also where God richly grants his presence and provision for those seeking him. The, excuse me, the limitless Lord shows himself strong in the limiting and difficult scenes of life. And so Jesus comes out, we're about to see, he comes out into the wilderness and meets um, John and his followers and the people who are there. And y'all, I, I checked this across all of them. This is the, the very first place where we see Jesus claimed as son of God, as lamb of God, as Messiah, um, is in a wilderness place. And so um, I know for those of us who may feel like we're living in a wilderness season, I want you to know that that is where God's presence and provision is most often found, is in the wilderness. Um, and so um, we see um, John kind of reiterate, Jesus comes to him in verses 24 to 34. Um, he you know, says Jesus is greater. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Um, that was the job of a servant. It was a very lowly job. And so John is saying, I'm not even worthy of the lowest job in serving him. Um, and then we see a, another reference to the deity of Jesus here, where he says he baptizes with water. He said um, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit, um, which is in verse, hold on, let me find it for you. Um, verse 33, he says, um, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so that's a reference. You can read that full story in those other, in the other gospels. Um, but the Holy Spirit, to baptize with the Holy Spirit was something only God could do. Only God could pour out his spirit on somebody. And so the fact that Jesus could um, baptized with the Holy Spirit or pour out or overwhelm someone with the Holy Spirit um, meant that he also was God. Okay, so that's section two. Let's move into section three quickly. Um, this is where we see Jesus calling his first disciples. Um, we see one of them, um, two of them who are following John the Baptist, um, see Jesus and decide to follow him. Now, this speaks a lot to John the Baptist because 
um, during the day, this day, um, people were, rabbis could be very competitive over their pupils. And so the fact that he would send and allow his pupils to go follow Jesus speaks very highly of John and, and his belief in who Jesus was. Um, and one of those who follows him is um, a guy named Andrew. And Andrew is the brother of a guy that we probably know really well named Peter. So he goes and he gets his brother and he comes back and we see this exchange where Jesus um, changes his name to um, Cephas, which is the Aramaic version. It means rock. Um, in Greek, it's Peter. So we're going to go with Peter because it's a little more easy. And then we see Jesus move to the region of Galilee. Okay, so on our map, we're going to see he moves up and all four of these guys that we see in this chapter who follow him are from this town of Bethsaida. It's up on um, the Sea of Galilee. And so we see him kind of move up here into this region up here called Galilee. And so he um, calls Philip and then Philip goes and gets his buddy Nathaniel. And um, these are one of those I love. We were talking in my group last week when we were talking about context, just John's sense of humor. There are just some places where you just kind of feel like he might have been a funny guy. Um, the fact that he includes this little exchange between Philip and Nathaniel about how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, for us, that sounds really rude, but um, in their day and age, important people came from important cities. And Nazareth, frankly, was not an important city. Um, some estimations put that their population was less than 500. And so when he's like, the Messiah came from Nazareth, um, that would have like been mind-blowing. But we, of course, know that his home is in um, heaven. And so he, his origin is truly heaven. Um, but so Nathaniel goes with him. And then we see this exchange that is really kind of odd. He goes, hey, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, oh, you're the Messiah. You're the king of Israel. He, he gives three names of, of Jesus right there um, and says he's going to follow. And you're like, man, he just saw you under a fig tree. Like what? So when we read something like that, that should trigger you to go, there's something deeper here that maybe I don't understand. And so I will admit, I did way too much digging on the significance of fig trees in scripture. And I learned a lot of really amazing, awesome things. But for the sake of time, I just want to give you two important things. So we see this phrase in the Old Testament often. Everyone where it's talking about God's favor over people, there is this um, idea that when his favor rests on them, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And we see it multiple places, Micah 4, 4, 1 Kings 4, 25, 2 Kings 18, 31, Zephaniah 3, 10. And so um, there was this symbol of, the, of God's favor on people when they were sitting under their own fig tree. And there's also often um, the removal of God's favor is um, signified by the loss of their fig trees or the death of their fig trees or their fig trees that won't bloom. And so, um, so I don't know if that's what it was. Fig trees also were very popular shaded trees. They're very large um, for people to sit and read. But here's what's most important. It um, was not likely that Jesus was walking down the road and physically looked over and saw him sitting under a fig tree and said, hey, that guy looks cool. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow about it. Um, most likely, Nathaniel had been sitting under a fig tree where Jesus would not have seen him. And so when Jesus said, I saw you sitting under the fig tree, not only may it have 
shown God's favor over him, but that it also was a, um, a symbol of, um, God's, of Jesus's omniscience, that he was all knowing, that he was the God who sees, even, um, with spiritual eyes who can see us, um, even when he's not physically in the same location. And, and the words that he says of Jesus, oh man, um, I'm sorry, the words that, um, Jesus says of Nathaniel, he says, um, hold on, hold on, I'm going to find it. Um, Jesus saw Nathanael, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Guys, what a beautiful, beautiful, like, let that be said of me. Like, please let that be said of me, that that there is no deceit in me. Um, So Nathanael, special guy. So we have um, Andrew, Peter, Philip and Nathaniel now following Jesus. And um, so really that's kind of like the summary and digging in. Now, as we're digging in and being detectives, what I want you to understand is that there are some people who are going to dig and get way deeper than, than maybe we can or we have. Um, and so I'm going to be giving you guys throughout the study some additional resources that I go to um, really honestly, more after I've done my personal study, just to kind of see, is there anything I missed? Um, or or letting the Holy Spirit kind of use it as confirmation for what he spoke to me. That's really honestly what our time together is meant to be. It's meant to be a confirmation from the Holy Spirit. Um, but one of these resources is the Bible Project. They have an amazing YouTube channel. They do these stunning, gorgeous videos around scripture. They do Um, They have one on each book of the Bible. And so um, in my email this week, it's going to have the links to both videos for the book of John. But one of the things that they pulled out that I don't know in a million years if I would have gotten to is the structure of John. So like I said, a lot of times we like to read these thinking it's this chronological, just kind of stream of consciousness stories. But the book of John is actually designed and structured with a very specific purpose and intent. And so um, in this chapter, there are multiple times, and I did know that there were seven I am statements in the book of John, but what I didn't know is that there are also seven, there are seven, hold on, how do I say this? There are more groupings of seven in the book of John um, that I didn't know about. And so we see the first one here in these final verses, of chapter one, we see seven names of Jesus. Um, We see the Lamb of God. We see Son of God. We see Rabbi. We see Messiah. um, We see Jesus of Nazareth. We see King of Israel, and we see the Son of Man. All seven of these speak to a different aspect of Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. Um, He was Jesus, who was fully man, yet fully God, who came as the king of Israel, not a physical kingdom as they expected, but Jesus came to teach and ultimately bring salvation as the sacrificial lamb. And that's the picture of Jesus. We get this beautiful start with him as the word, and then we get this beautiful end with who he is, calling him by his seven of his names. 
And we're going to spend the rest of the semester studying chapters two through 10. And we're going to see, and this is, I'm not taking credit from this. This is from Bible Project. But we're going to see two sets of structured stories. And this pattern that they um, kind of pointed out is this idea of Jesus shows a sign. That's one of the other sevens. Um, or he makes a claim about himself. And at the end of each story, people are forced to make a decision. Will they believe him or will they reject him? And honestly, that's the same choice we have today. Are we going to believe him? Are we going to reject him? And um, not only in our study, because remember, John is setting the case for the fact that he is Messiah, that, that Jesus is Messiah, that he is God. And so he is, he is leading people on this, this um, almost choose your own adventure. Here's what he said. You're going to believe him or you're going to not. Here's what he said. Are you going to believe him or are you not? Here's what he did. Will you believe him? Will you not? And we get to make that choice every single day. The decisions that I make and the thoughts that I allow in my head, am I accepting him or rejecting him? Am I trusting Jesus, son of God, in whom fullness of God dwells? Or do I want to take control? Am I allowing guilt and shame over my mistakes to hold me captive? Or do I remember that what his death as the Lamb of God, as our Messiah, bought for me? Am I um, trusting that his abundant grace that has made a way for me to not only have forgiveness, but access to a relationship with God himself? Or do I feel like I have to fix it all the time? Do I feel like I have to earn his love by what I do? Am I trusting his truth, the only one truth, or am I tempted to live by my own truth? Am I allowing the darkness of this world to stir fear in my heart? Or do I remember that he is king, the true light that cannot be overcome, taken captive, or snuffed out by the darkness? Amen? Amen. Goodness, that gets me every time. The word made flesh dwelling among us. The light that cannot be overcome by darkness. That's who our Jesus is. It's not too late to join us live on Tuesday nights on Zoom if you want to study along with us. It's really important that we come together around the word, really anytime, but especially in times like these where we can feel so isolated. You can sign up and get more information on that at feastingontruth.com slash Bible study, which you can find that link in the show notes. I was listening to a podcast by a new friend of mine. Her name's Carrie, and she has a podcast called The Journey Podcast, and she closed each podcast with prayer, and I just really love that idea, and so I wanted to do that. I wanted to pray over us as we um, prepare to go into our next week of study um, on John chapter 2. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of studying your word. God, I just thank you that you are the light that cannot be overcome by darkness. Lord, I thank you that you are creator, that you are eternal, that you are sovereign, that you are our father, and that you call us your children. God, thank you for the um, women who are listening, for the women who are studying along with us, Lord, for what you are doing in their lives. God, I just pray that you would move. I pray that you would... Um, 
grow them. I pray that we would look more like you, God, that we would not leave um, our study today, our study this week, um, uh, looking the same, but God, that we would be different because because your word is living and active and sharp and it does a mighty work in us. Lord, I pray over our study this week. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit meets every woman where she is as we dig in firsthand, as we discover um, the truths of who you are in John chapter 2. Lord, I pray that you will um, teach us your truth, show us your way, and that we would um, fall more in love with you because of it. It's in your holy and precious and amazing and glorious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.